and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, our continuation of the exalted Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Today, we take a look at the six truths of the exalted Savior and six reasons why Christ is the most exalted. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott. We are coming back this morning to the climb of Mount Everest, Mount Everest of Jesus Christ, being the exalted God and Savior. We got halfway up the mountain last Sunday together, and now we're looking at the remaining six truths about our exalted Savior as found in Colossians 1, uh, 15 to 23. I hope you remember from last time, if you were here, that we saw in these verses that Christ is God's visible image, and we used a photocopier as a, a memory tool that when you see a photocopier or photocopy that you understand that Jesus Christ is the exact visible image of an invisible God. And we spoke about how one of the ways the scriptures talk about a maturity in Christ, a spiritual maturity, is that Christ is formed in the believer. As Christ is formed in you and me, then we are spiritually maturing. To the degree to which Christ is being formed in us is the degree to which we are spiritually maturing. And if Jesus Christ is God's visible image, and he is, then the question to ask ourselves is, are you, am I, resembling Christ? Second, we saw last time that Christ is the firstborn of creation. Doesn't mean he was created. Firstborn here means first in rank in all that he created. Jesus created everything, and he's the first in rank of everything that he created. We use Adam being the first Adam brought us into sin, and Jesus Christ is the second Adam can lead us out of sin's grasp and trap if we trust him to save us. The question we asked last time was, are you living set free from your sin nature? If Jesus Christ is the firstborn, the first ranking and importance in creation, is he freeing you and does it show? Third, last time, Christ is the start of everything. We talked about cooking a meal. When you get those ingredients out as the beginning of preparing a meal, that we can remind ourselves that Jesus Christ is the start of everything except evil and sin. Everything else, he's the start of everything. And so if Christ is being formed in us, then we ought to be bowing down to his creative genius. In nature, his creative genius in making sinners like all of us over so that we are children of God. We saw last time that Christ is the owner of everything. And if Christ is being formed in you, then you are living as though he owns you, not as though you own yourself. We talked about the word owner when we see an owner's manual, that that could help us to remember that Christ is the owner of everything, including us. Still with last week, we saw that Christ is eternal. He is over time. He created time. He came into time to do the mission of heaven to redeem sinners, but he's over time. Everything in the past is as equally vivid to Jesus as is everything in the present, as is everything in the future. He's eternal, without beginning. Wristwatch was our memory thought about that, and I guess we've been looking at our wristwatches a lot overnight and our clocks and our cars and trucks and so forth. 
And we're saying that if Christ is being formed in us, if we're spiritually maturing, then we see Christ as being Lord of our time, free time, employment time, parenting time, marriage time. We live with Christ as Lord of our time. We see our time being his time, and we want to honor him in time. And last from last week, we saw that Christ is the sustainer of creation. We made a distinction between deists who thought and think that God is the creator of everything, but then he just walked away from his creation like a clockmaker would and just let the thing tick with no personal involvement in creation after he created. That is not the picture the Bible paints of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the creator, all right, of the universe, if you're going to use the clock metaphor, but Jesus Christ keeps the clock running. He's involved. He's the sustainer of his creation. And we talked about the Jesus nut on the helicopters in Vietnam and how that Jesus nut held the rotor blades and the gears and the drive shafts that the helicopter needed to fly right in their places. And we talked about if we are having Christ formed in us, if we are spiritually maturing, then we recognize that we can't hold our own lives together. But only Jesus Christ can hold our lives together, and he's glad to do it. He's glad to do it if we yield to his lordship in obedience. That being said, by way of introduction... Let's continue our climb up Mount Everest of who Christ is, found in Colossians 1. And we're going to see six more reasons that the Lord Jesus Christ is the most exalted, the first in rank in his creation. Six more reasons. Ready? First reason for today, Christ is the chief executive officer of the church. Jesus Christ is the CEO of this church, and he is the CEO of the church. All of our brothers and sisters in Christ worldwide who gather in localized assemblies, Jesus Christ is the CEO of all the church. The church is not a democracy. The church is a theocracy. We don't vote and tell Jesus what to do with his church. Jesus Christ tells us what to do with his church. And this church is not our church. It's his church. Jesus Christ is the CEO of this church, and he's the CEO of every church. Look at verse 18, the first part. He, Christ, is also the head of the body, the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the church. Scripture likens the universal church and local expressions of it as a body. We are a body of believers. The body is the metaphor because a body has many functional parts that are all necessary. And a healthy body recognizes that all the parts of the body work together and not in competition. When there's cancer in a body, there's competition between the cancer cells and the healthy cells. A church can be like that, but that's not in the will of God for us to fight each other, to argue with each other, to want our way over another person's way when both ways aren't necessarily Christ's ways. And so Jesus Christ is the CEO of the church. And so when we want to know what to do as a church, we better not pull out our constitution 
we better pull out our Bibles. So scripture likens the universal church to a body. And the point is made that the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the body. That is, Jesus Christ is the brains of the outfit. That is, Jesus Christ is the source of the body. You are not in this body of believers by your own volition and your own choice. Christ has placed you into salvation. And then after salvation, Christ has placed you into Bible church by his will and plan for his purpose and for his glory. Yes, the body of Christ is the church, and Jesus Christ is the head of the body. Sometimes married women say to me, and I, I don't like it. It's not biblical. My husband is the head of our home, but I'm the neck that turns the head. A church gets in trouble when it says, yes, Jesus Christ is the head of this church, but we're the neck to turn his head. None of us should think that we can steer the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us should figure that we can or should overrun Christ's will and way for us. None of us should ever manipulate Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord, because he's the boss. He's the boss of our individual lives, but he's the boss of our collective life as a local church. He's the brains of the outfit. He's king, he's master, he's head, he's CEO. And so if Christ would be formed in you and me, we had best defer to Christ, do we? Second, Christ is not only the CEO of the church. Second, Christ is the prototype of bodily resurrection. See that with me in verse 18. He, Christ, is also the head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Jesus Christ is the prototokos, the prototype of bodily resurrection. It says in verse 18, just to point out the beginning, he also is the head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. What does this mean? It means that Jesus Christ is first in rank when it comes to physically dying and resurrecting from the dead. It means that Christ is the prototokos, the prototype of resurrection. He's the highest authority in death and resurrection. He's the one on top of the long chain involved in death and resurrection. And this fact intertwines with the fact that this same Lord Jesus Christ is the very first one to physically die and then to have his body resurrected. Not reincarnated. Reincarnation is not taught in the Bible. Karma is not taught in the Bible. Jesus Christ is the firstborn of bodily resurrection, not reincarnation, resurrection. And Jesus Christ is the firstborn of bodily resurrection, not resuscitation. He didn't resuscitate, he resurrected. And because he has, we will. And now, today's personal God story. It's great this morning to have Brother Anthon Wallace with us in the studio. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Brother Anthon is serving as our music director at Calvary Bible Church and doing an excellent job. We just are grateful to him each week. Well, thank you, Pastor yeah, Rob. Uh, my, my pleasure. Uh, let's chat a little bit about worship, uh, Brother. Uh, wh what is worship? Worship is ascribing worth to God. It's the gathering up of all that we are 
and giving it back to God, all of the gifts that he has given to us and offering it back to him as the source of all the blessings that we receive. It's the praise, the thanksgiving for the blessings of God. It's living a life that really is saying thank you to the one who created us, who redeemed us through the offering of his son, Jesus Christ on the cross, and is saying that all of who I am is going to be given back to God uh, for the many blessings that he has uh, poured out in my life and for the fact that he alone is God and he alone is worthy of uh, being worshipped, adored, praised, blessed, honored, respected, obeyed, and the list goes on and on. Yes, amen. <laughs> I totally agree. What is music's part in worship? That's uh, something that in my mind needs to really be carefully addressed in the church because a lot of the times we sometimes can confuse music with worship and worship with music. And they're, they're two totally separate things. Music can aid in worship, but music in and of itself is not worship. We use this gift uh, from our Heavenly Father, this gift from Him, and we convey truths about who God has revealed Himself to be in creation, in scripture, and we're taking this art form and we're using it to offer glory to God. I love that. So it's, we can't really say uh, of the music segment of a, of a worship service, now is our time to worship. Exactly. It's just a part of it. And many Christians, we do connect, I think, best with God through this art form because that's the way he has wired us. While other believers may not connect with God, uh, you know, through music primarily. And that's okay. You, you know, we're all made differently. Some people would connect better with God by just opening the scriptures and reading it or hearing it. Some would connect better with them through prayer or through communion. Um, that, that's all okay, you know, through giving. Some, yes. some, the best part of the service for some believers is the offering time. Yes. You know, and, um, uh, we, we have to not uh, confuse you know, music with worship and worship with music, but we can worship God through music. Excellent. Um, does Calvary Bible Church have a philosophy of worship or music? Yes, our philosophy of music and worship is that we follow what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, being filled with the Spirit, speaking with one another in Psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. So we have a blended form of worship when it comes to music in, in the local church that takes the best. And you can't get any better than the Psalms because that's the inspired, you know, word of God, the ancient hymn book that God has preserved for us in scripture. And so we like to always honor God by reading these uh, inspired texts in our worship and uh, using that as much as possible as the springboard, if you may, into our singing songs and, and playing songs. But then there are also hymns. And um, we know that, you know, hymns, they paint a wider portrait of who God is. It's a rich tradition handed down to the church. 
and there are uh, you know um, spiritual songs what we would perhaps call contemporary worship songs today the new songs that the spirit of God continues to birth through men and women whom he has uh, gifted um, with uh, the uh, talents and abilities to, to write songs and compose songs so we bring the best of scripture psalms hymns the the faith that was handed down to us uh, through men and women like Charles Wesley and Fanny Crosby and so forth, and they paint a very great portrait of who God is and his work um, in the world, uh, and especially his, his, his work um, through Jesus Christ. And then the new scriptural songs, the spiritual songs that uh, today help us to appreciate God through more than expressions, uh, if you if you may, of, of of music today, but still the truth conveyed in there would help uh, believers to still connect with God in worship. Thank you. I appreciate you helping us understand those things. Um, what are some of the opportunities that are here at our church for born again believer musicians to plug into? Well, we have a choir, a multi generational choir. Uh, we start right at um, grade seven level, um, r- right on up to Grammy and Grandpa, <laughs> all serving together. Um, and we have a praise teams, um, and we have s- special music, soloists and duets and so forth. Of course, musicians uh, play a great role as well. And so there are opportunities each week for persons to plug in to the music ministry either as an instrumentalist and or a vocalist. Yes, we're very blessed. God has given us uh, people who walk with him that have great talent when it comes to music and marvel at that every Sunday, really. Um, What qualifies a musician to serve Christ within the Calvary Bible Church family or anywhere else? Yes, the two words that I like to think of the first one is art. Do you have the skill? Mm-hmm. And the second word I like to think of is heart. Are you indeed a person whose life has been surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ? And uh, once you have the skill, the ability, and you have the testimony of being a believer in Jesus Christ, we have a place uh, for you to serve uh, in in the music ministry at Calvary Bible Church, one who is surrendered to the Lord and one who has the skill. Those are the two qualifications. That is a wonderful combination when God uh, endows both. It truly is. <laughs> this is great to visit. Uh, Brother Anthon, what else might you like to say or feel you should say to our listeners this morning? Well, as a music minister in the local church, I think that we need to take our responsibility very seriously when it comes to leading God's people in worship. Uh, It reminds me of the uh, psalm where it, it showed the procession of the singers and the musicians going into the temple. And, you know, God has given those of us endowed with the gift of music, the privilege of leading others uh, into his presence yes, through praise and thanksgiving. And, and we, we need to ensure that our lives 
are consecrated, set apart, holy for, for the Lord and for Him to use us, uh, it's very disheartening uh, to even think of persons who would have such a leading role uh, publicly, but privately, you know, our lives can, can contradict, you know, what we're saying publicly. Or, or even, you know, to uh, have individuals who are involved in music ministry and it's such a high profile kind of ministry, but yet their testimony on the job or elsewhere in public yes. just contradicts what, what is being shared on stage through mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. And so it, what I would like to convey strongly is that we who are given this, this privilege of ministering to the Lord and to his people that our lives are uh, also lined up with scripture and not just make this a performance-based ministry, but one that is uh, really demonstrating the fact that we do love the Lord Jesus Christ and we do love his people and our lives line up with the truths of scripture. What a wonderful ambition and uh, what a wonderful priority to have as a servant leader in the area of music in our local church. Uh, We love you and your family and we thank you so much for your faithful service to the King of Kings. Thank you, Pastor Robin. God bless you and your ministry as well. And now, Help for the Hurting with the Director of the Christian Counseling Center. Pastor Frederick Arnett. I would like to thank uh, each of you for allowing us in your homes again this morning. Again in the uh, studio with me is Deborah Arnett and uh, she was sharing about how we should bring up our children. I'd like you to continue from where you left off uh, the last time, Deborah. Would, would you tell us, is there any other area you want to zero in on? So last week, the question that you asked me was, what are the two gifts um, that parents can entrust to their children that would have a profound impact on their life? Right, yes. And last week, I quickly addressed the issue of understanding who your child is and addressing the issue of identity, being intentional and knowing your child and their purpose and what God has created them for. And that requires prayer and seeking his face, um, but also attending to the things that you observe in them, um, their propensities to engage in certain activities that are productive and constructive and skills that they have. So if they're a writer, you know, giving them those pieces of paper so they can write their little stories when they're five and six and seven and as they age. But another area that I think is so important and very potent when we consider what's going on in our culture today is fostering an understanding of your child's value. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've observed in my work and um, in the research is that fatherlessness erodes our sense of value. If our fathers are not present, we don't know this person. And therefore, there's a part of us we don't quite know and understand. Um, Even if he is physically present but emotionally absent and there isn't a lot of opportunity to connect with him and bond with him and know who he is as a person, um, know his deeper essence, passions, what drives him. It takes away from our understanding of who we are as individuals. Um, And I've observed in individuals that I've interacted with who may appear very adaptive and healthy, but who have a history of fatherlessness, that they tend to leave lifestyles where they're constantly striving, um, constantly trying to 
prove their value through the accumulation of material things, through their physical activities and accomplishments, and by acquiring the glory of men. Mm -hmm. And so they live this life where they're constantly in this rat race approach, where they're seeking to um, achieve acceptance through their actions, okay. rather than recognize who they are as a person, whether or not they're um, excelling or they're growing or they're struggling, their value is present and it doesn't erode because you are in the process of developing or it's not majorly lacking. It's also important to know that if someone does not know his value, um, he cannot identify or honor the value of another person. Okay. And so when you look at our, our country, there is often this question that comes up about crime and murder, and people will say, well, how could they do that? How could they treat this person this way? How could they slaughter that individual that way? And I really believe the root cause of it is that a number of individuals within our community and our country don't know their value. Okay. Um, and they try to develop a sense of value by what they possess, by what they accomplish, by what they do, but they really don't feel valued and they don't feel valuable. Um, and they're struggling with a sense of feeling valuable so they cannot appreciate your value okay. and treat you with the respect and the honor that will result in the preservation of your life when they have a conflict with you or that will result in them being respectful to you when they're frustrated with you. It is far easier for an individual to take another's life when they don't know their value and it's far easier for an individual to disrespect or mistreat a person when they don't know their value. Mm -hmm. That is why it is important for a parent to interact with their child in a way that confirms and affirms the child's value. Um, and they are careful with the words that they speak over their children. Um, it is also important that parents engage in active listening when they're interacting with their children. Um, they're listening beyond their child's words to their child's passions and interests that they may be having a difficulty expressing to mom and dad. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I found very important to relay to parents is that as you're interacting with your kids, one of the ways to show them that they're valuable and to demonstrate active listening is to engage their questions, not blow them off and be like, I don't have time for that question, please leave me alone, that's a stupid question, but to answer their questions. If they approach you and say, mom, do you think I'm pretty? Answer the question. If they approach you and they say, dad, do you think I'm strong? answer the question. Mm -hmm. It's so much easier to answer a question than to debate with a child about a statement. Mm -hmm. When they get to that place where they say, I'm not pretty, I'm not strong, I am stupid, that is much more difficult an issue for a parent to navigate, trying to convince them their children of a, a truth right. than when their child has a question. And all of this is tied up into understanding a child's value and promoting a child's value. Okay, thank you very much, Deborah, and uh, we hope that uh, as we listen to these, this information that we're receiving, that it will help us in being better parents. Thank you again, Deborah. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m., in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior. <laughs>